We're going to go into the scripture reading. We're starting a new series, 1 Peter. Five chapters. I don't know how long Albert is going to stretch it out. Maybe two years. I don't know. (laughs) Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. It'll be less than two years, I promise. Two verses a week, but no, I'm kidding. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you so much for leaving us an instruction manual on how to live the Christian life that you didn't just leave us to be. And along with your wonderful word, you also leave us your Holy Spirit. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in the lives of each individual here, exactly where they're at, as we all have different struggles and you're working with us in different ways in our lives. And I ask that you would use my words, use this worship time, use this fellowship time, use this prayer time to draw people closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to Regeneration. My name's Albert. If you haven't seen me in a while, it's because I haven't been here in a while. I usually try to take summers off, and then the rest of the year I try to be here. And so I'll be here for a while, and you'll hear about Peter for a while. First Peter is one of the most practical epistles in the Bible, and part of my ministry as a pastor is pastoral care, which I'm really honored to be a part of and trusted with so many of your stories about victories and challenges and things that need to be lifted up in prayer and I find it a really huge privilege to listen to many of your concerns that are happening in your life and I'm not going to break confidentiality and share some of your stories that some of you have shared with me unless you haven't paid me off yet and so those times of pastoral care have actually helped me to come to this decision to do a sermon series in first Peter because first Peter addresses many issues concerning Christian living, Christian life. Like how do we live when trials hit or when we're experiencing relationship problems, health challenges, financial difficulties, ordeals at work or school, habits that are problematic, addictions that are keeping us in bondage, the aftermath of bad decisions, and all those many tests that we're faced with, which are just too many to name. How are we to live as followers of Jesus in every situation that life throws at us? First Peter. And some of you may be thinking, there's no way. No way that five chapters of one dude's writings that are going to give me all the answers to all my problems. Yes. God's word is powerful. And if you will accept the challenge to systematically study 1 Peter with us, to memorize and meditate on the verses that minister to you, and ask God to speak to you through 1 Peter, you will be transformed by the word of God, and you will know how to live your life in every situation that you face. Now, will you live according to God's word in 1 Peter? That I don't know. But you can know how to live according to 1 Peter. Applying it is another thing, but at least you will know. And some of you may be asking, how in the world can five chapters of a book address every situation that I'm going to face? Well, when looking at any issue, there are symptoms that are associated with that issue. 
But more often than not, there are underlying problems, there are deeper issues, problems, and the symptoms are just manifestations of those deeper-rooted issues. And one of the problems we face is that we look for really specific answers to really specific symptoms when the deep root of the problem is not addressed. And when we just deal with symptoms, there may be relief for a time, right? You have a cold and you're just dealing with your nasal congestion or your cough or your sore throat, but it pops up again without addressing the real root of the problem, whether it's bacterial or viral or whatever it is. So rather than dealing with the deeper issue of why someone has, say, a headache, people just want to take a pill rather than just addressing that deeper level of why that headache keeps recurring. So we don't just look for quick fixes in our health. Well, sometimes we do. Sometimes we just look for quick fixes. But we also do that with many other things in our life. Whatever issue is before us, many times people want to address the issue, which is a great thing, but many times people don't want to address their problem systematically, holistically, in a deeper way. And we want to just take a pill for it. We want answers now. We want relief now. We want solutions now. Now I have a question for you. Where in the Bible do you see that Jesus is in a hurry? Anywhere in the Bible does Jesus run? That's why sports are a sin. I'm kidding. I love sports. Just not running. Now if we're going to take a pill, any pill at all, it's a chill pill. Because God has deeper things that he's doing in people. And more often than not, he's not looking for a quick fix for someone to deal with, with their symptoms. He's looking at holistic, systematic, deep transformation, and you can't hurry that. You can't hurry that. And oftentimes, we desire answers, solutions, reasons, results, right now. To reach out to one of our specific questions and to answer our specific questions, well, usually there are deeper things to mine for to dig for than the symptoms that just kind of show up in our lives. And we live in an age where information is right at our fingertips and we can look up answers to our specific questions just as quickly as anyone else does. Like I'm giving you statistics and sometimes I'm often giving statistics out and I'm seeing people on their phone like just kind of looking their stuff, checking me out. You'll know that I'm right though, huh? And so we like to look up remedies and we like to look up symptoms and all these kind of things. But what about the deeper things that lie beneath that? How do you mine for those things? How often is it that you're completely satisfied with a quick answer to your really deep question? Don't you hate that? I remember I was having problems with a girlfriend of mine in college. So I go to my pastor and I ask him, hey, I'm having these problems and can you just give me some encouragement or something? He gives me just like this Bible verse. I don't even remember what it was. It was just a Bible verse and he handed it to me and then he was like, all right, I'll see you later. And I felt so low. It's just like a doctor that, you know, you have all this pain and stuff. I'll like, oh, just take this pill, just go. And I hate that. And how often do you find valuable gems on the surface of the earth? You have to mine. You have to dig for that stuff. And those gems are what Peter has to offer. First Peter will go deeper than just those specific symptoms and detailed questions that you have on the surface. And it's not just that first Peter Peter provides this godly wisdom. The entire Bible provides this godly wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture 
is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Now, 1 Peter is a great book to turn to for life's deeper questions. The entire Bible is a great book for that. And something that I'd love to encourage our church to be like are the Bereans. Right, the Bereans, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, this was written about them. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They knew their Bibles. I want that for our church. I want us to know our Bible. I want us to get in there and eager and study it daily. And it wasn't so that they could just regurgitate biblical information just so that they can pass a biblical trivia thing or be really good at biblical trivia games or whatever. But it was digging for truth. It was mining for truth. The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, 1 Peter is the Christian's manual on how to live the Christian life. It's a guide to life's deeper questions. Now, why did Peter write this epistle? It's found in chapter 5, verse 12, 1 Peter. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Exhorting, meaning to call, summon, comfort, admonish, encourage. Declaring, meaning to bear witness, to establish by testimony the grace of God. And when we know it, we understand it for ourselves, we'll be able to stand firm in it. Now, since this is the first study that we're doing in this sermon series, we need to get some background information. And the first thing we're going to look at is who was Peter? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter is a fairly well-known person of the Bible. Even people that aren't Christians know Peter. And if I were to ask you guys who are just familiar with Peter to tell me about Peter, I'd get a variety of answers. So let's just start when Peter was a baby. Peter was born with his foot in his mouth. I'm kidding. I have the scene of the Goonies where like Chunk is just like divulging everything in his life. Like in first grade, I was like, we're not going to do that. We're just going to look, jump around a couple places in the Bible to describe to you Peter. The first place we're going to look at is Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Let me read it. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. This was Jesus. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We read of Peter's confession that he was a sinful man, that he needed work in being obedient to Jesus. 
we read that he was afraid that he would be changing his job from catching fish to catching men. We read that he left everything and followed Jesus. Next story, Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountains by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So here we read of Peter's fear again. Actually, he's terrified along with all the other disciples. And here's where Peter takes this step of faith on walking on water. And his faith got deeper here as well as his faith got a little wetter. And even though he had little faith and doubted, we know that his faith grew. Last story here. John chapter 18, starting in verse 1. This was when Peter was an aspiring ninja. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across to the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew this place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen, came toward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So Peter comes to the defense of Jesus, but his kind of tough guy attitude changes just a few verses later. If you go down to verse 15, Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I'm not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. And then just a few more verses down, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. 
One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So from ninja Peter to wimpy Peter in just a matter of hours. And so we see Peter evolve from this young Christian on the boat recognizing that he was sinful. And then he got to experience these three years of life with Jesus where he learned these valuable lessons of obedience and faith. But you notice that all of these lessons that were recorded for us were all learned in the face of fear, doubt. And Jesus' death and resurrection after that Jesus had this really important lesson to get across to Peter, specifically, who denied him. And that's in John chapter 21, starting in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I find it interesting. I don't know if this is fact or not, but I was wondering if Jesus was trying to get across to him the same amount of times that he was denied to express back to him that he loved him. And it was just kind of like, let's even it out a little bit. But Peter had these life-changing encounters with Jesus. And by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote these words we're going to study for the next several months. And from the biblical references we just looked at, you and I know that Peter wasn't this guy that was born of some special privilege. He wasn't of some wealthy home, born with a silver spoon, had everything handed to him on a platter. He didn't live a privileged life to grow up in the best rabbinical schools and having all of this knowledge or anything like that. Peter was just your average guy, normal guy, who had a job and worked for a living, much like most of us. Just an average guy, just going about his business when Jesus called him to follow him. And maybe some of you are like Peter, in that you speak before you think. And that's not always bad. It's just a different way of processing but it did get him in trouble at times. And he'd just say what's on his mind and his emotions were right on his sleeve. And, and sometimes he'd say the right things and other times he'd not so much. Right In Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? You know, Peter got it right. He got it right. He said in verse 16, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I mean, he got it right. But then just a few verses later, verse 22, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Hey. About what Jesus showed the disciples that he must suffer, die, and he would be raised on the third day. Then Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And I'm just thinking, Come on, Peter. You had it at verse 16. You just, just you were done. Just cash in on that. 
Right? You had to throw the dice again. Like, just leave it. And so there are so many ways that we can describe Peter. There is a lot of information provided to us about Peter. But if we just look at his own writing and how he described himself, what does he write? An apostle of Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything about, hey, I walked on water at least. Or he told me this, or he told me that. The only thing he says about himself, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now we've talked about this term apostle in past studies, and if you would like a review on that, take a listen to Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, that study in our iTunes. Now, just a brief definition of apostle. It is one who is a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. So Peter was a delegate, a messenger of Jesus Christ. He was sent forth with orders by Jesus Christ. Now, what did Jesus tell him to do? We read this in John chapter 21, that Jesus told Peter to feed his lambs, tend his sheep, and to feed his sheep. And there's more. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus told Peter in verse 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, did you get that? I find that so awesome. Jesus knew that Peter was going to fail. He knew that Peter was going to fall. He said, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. That was his mandate. That's what he was supposed to do. Strengthen your brothers. This is what Peter's letter is to us. It's a letter that will feed us, tend us, strengthen us. And take notice that Jesus didn't call a perfect person to fulfill this ministry. He called Peter, one with many faults, one where he said, and when you have turned again to minister to his people. And some of you may feel you aren't qualified or worthy to serve God. And Peter is proof that you are. You are able by the Holy Spirit to feed and tend to God's sheep, to strengthen one another. See, God is a God of redemption. God is a God of grace. And get this in your head. You cannot disqualify yourself from ministry for the rest of your life. Maybe for a period while you heal and while you reconcile and while you restore and while you do different things that the Lord is calling you, but you can't disqualify yourself for the rest of your life. Your failures, no matter how severe they are, God can redeem those no matter how bad they are. God forgives the worst of sins, and He can turn evil toward good. Your failures can be redeemed with God, and if you will start by faith in the direction of God's love and redemption for you, you can be used for His purposes. See, your past does not dictate your future. It influences your future, but it does not dictate your future. And no matter how bad things have been for you, God can use you powerfully. How do we proceed in life as followers of Jesus? Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus restores. He redeems failures. That's what the gospel is all about. 
You and I mess up all the time. He restores us. He redeems us. And you just have to look at biblical examples of this. Who specifically? All? I mean, in the Bible, besides Jesus, and you can probably make an argument for Samuel, maybe Elisha, but other than that, who? Who has not fallen and where God has lifted them up? Who in your life, who has been instrumental in your Christian life, has not fallen and gotten back up? And so you look at Peter, who described himself as an apostle. And I hope you understand today that you are valuable and you are useful to the kingdom of God today. And you weren't redeemed by the blood of Jesus because you're worthless and useless. You weren't saved by Jesus so that you can regurgitate biblical information. You are valuable and useful to God. So listen to what He has for you to do and then do it. God is calling you to a specific work that it is for you to do. Now, whom did Peter write this letter to? Second part of verse 1. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And we have a map of this showing you of this region here. I got to go to all these places in the past, but the first time I went to Turkey, this is modern-day Turkey, I had to go to Cappadocia because that's where Star Wars was filmed. Anyway. You can tell by this map, this is a diverse group of people. A really diverse group of people. Many cultures and ethnicities in this area, back in this part of the world when Peter wrote this book, as well as today. Modern day Turkey was derived from multiple cultures, from southeastern Europe and from western Asia. And you see that this eastern Mediterranean region spans Asia and Europe. Now, traveling by land between Asia and Europe, back in the Roman Empire, you had to go through Turkey. There's another map that I have there of the Roman roads laid out. You had to go through Turkey during the Roman Empire. In other times, you can go north of the Black Sea, like the Silk Road kind of branches out, and you can go through different spaces. But during the Roman Empire, that's the only way to go. You had to go through Turkey in order to span Asia and Europe. And so you can imagine the diversity here because this is where East meets West. Right? This is like my children where me East meets my wife West. Right? We're just, that's it. Here, in case you don't know, my wife's white. Okay, so. Now you notice this word here. Exiles in verse 1. Exiles, meaning a stranger sojourning in a strange place. A foreigner who comes from a foreign country into a land to reside there with the natives. Okay, so metaphorically in the New Testament, it's in reference to heaven as our native country, as we are the ones who sojourn on the earth. And this is the point that Peter's making. It was a reminder that their loyalty, their allegiance, their commitment, faithfulness was to a homeland which was different from where they were physically living. Now Jewish people completely understand this because their homeland is Jerusalem. Their homeland is Jerusalem. Before they were dispersed from that homeland to all those places in Turkey, that was their homeland. So to the Jews, Jerusalem is home. And here Peter wrote to them as exiles in Asia Minor. 
knowing that their home was in Jerusalem. And while the Jews would understand this type of language clearly, Peter wasn't just writing to Jews as there were Gentiles who were part of this diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural devotion to Jesus now. So just as a Jew was in exile outside of Jerusalem, so is every believer of Jesus, every Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, in exile outside of heaven. See, our citizenship is in heaven. Everywhere else we find ourselves is temporary. Now why is this important? Because the things of this world that shape your values, my values, needs to be looked at with this temporary perspective and lens. Heaven is home, not here. Everything here is temporary. You don't live forever. The things that you value on this earth don't last forever. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 37, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing you can give in return for your soul. So what are you investing your life, your resources, talents, your time into? Are the investments of you yourself into heavenly things or earthly things? And Peter reminds us that we are exiles, we're foreigners, we're strangers. And he did this so that we don't invest our hope into the world. Our values are different. And it's because our perspective is different. The follower of Jesus' perspective is on the eternal, not on the temporary. Before we intimately knew Jesus, our focuses, our, our values were on things of this world. Even for those who do have a relationship with Jesus, when we are spiritually off, we value things of this world rather than of heaven and we just start wanting what our flesh wants. We want what we want, and we lose perspective because that sin nature is still in us. Covetousness, lust, idolatry, jealousy, divisions, envy, enmity, strife, all that stuff is in there, right? All it takes is a matter of you driving on the freeway for a couple hours. It all comes up. All of it comes up. You don't believe me? Let me ride in the front seat with you for a little bit. And I'll point out, see? See? And the person of this world has no hope to be set free from that bondage. And the believer in Jesus still has these struggles because that sin nature is still in us. But we have hope because if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. John chapter 8. How many of us have not denied ourselves, taken up the cross, and really followed Him? How many of us are investing in our lives to save our own life when, in fact, that investment into the temporary is how you are losing your life? Do you have an intimate relationship with Jesus this morning? Verse 2 of 1 Peter. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. See, God knew who would have a relationship with Him. He's not surprised at all 
that you're his child. He's not surprised by anything. He's all-knowing, right? He's omniscient. And your relationship with him is no surprise to him. It is surprising to those of us who see our sin, that a holy God would want a relationship with us as holy as he is. He extends grace to us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. We didn't do anything to earn his grace. We didn't do anything to earn his love. It's all a gift from God. In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, we are washed clean of our sins by the blood of Jesus. When we accept that by faith that He did that for us, and that continues to happen, right? That's sanctification through the Holy Spirit. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Do you know who wrote that? That was Peter. Peter wrote that, someone who understood this so clearly because he fell so hard and he fell so far from Jesus, but Jesus extended that to him even after Peter denied him, after Peter rejected him. See, all of us can use a little bit more of grace and peace, can't we? Some of you may be going through challenging times. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now keep these things in mind from today's sermon. You're an exile. You're a stranger. You're a sojourner. And if this place doesn't feel like home, it's because it ain't. Right? This, you're an exile. Another thing to keep in mind, you're not an accident. You're not an accident. Jesus Christ died for you. God knew who he was sending his son to die for. You're not an accident. He knew that you would be in a relationship with him and he loves you dearly. Jesus' blood cleansed you from all of your sins and the Holy Spirit is continually at work in your life sanctifying you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. I hope you take Peter's words to heart. May peace and grace be multiplied to you, knowing you are deeply loved by God, that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in your place, and he sent his Holy Spirit to continue that work of sanctification in your life. Now, I know I used a lot of Christianese at the end of that about Jesus and his blood and dying for you, and some of you may be like, what in the world is all that stuff? I'm sorry I'm out of time, but I would love to talk with you about that in more detail and in more depth if you're interested in that. I'll just be sitting up front here to uh, pray with any of you who have some prayer requests. Let's pray now. God, thank you for your apostle, Peter, and we pray, Lord, that in the next few months that you would open up First Peter to us and your Holy Spirit would continue that sanctification process, opening up our minds, our hearts, our soul, our spirit to whatever you have for us to change our life. My prayer, Lord, is that this isn't just merely information that we're accruing in a biblical sense or even in a religious sense. 
But God, that the things that we are hearing from your Apostle Peter are things that change our life. That we walk out different. That we are different people. That we are in closer relationship with you and in more intimate relationship with you because of what you have written through your Apostle. In Jesus' name, amen.